following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, today is um, the very last week of this four-week series we've done based on Henry Nouwen's book, Reaching Out, The Three Movements of the Spiritual Life, some of which Autumn just sort of recapped in that meditation that we did together. We, uh, this was our summer read, something we tried for the first time this year. We, uh, a, a couple dozen people probably bought a copy of this book and, and read it and shared it. Couples shared it, I think. And um, uh, It was a good experience for all of us to be turned and, and, and attuned to the same topic for a month or so. And it was the subject of our teachings here on uh, Sunday mornings as well. I have one last copy of this book. Um, if anybody wants it, uh, it's the, we cost us $10. You could, you could reimburse that if you can afford it. If not, it's yours for free or whatever you can give us is fine. I have one extra left and I really love, even if you know, you're thinking, oh, the series is over, why would I read it now? Well, if this stuff has kind of been interesting to you, you hadn't had a chance to read it, go ahead and get one, all right? Um, is it available online uh, in print? Yes. Uh, Amazon has... Lots of copies. Um, in fact, they've replenished it. The one that I bought at the beginning of the summer was all gray. It was sitting on their shelf for a long time. And the one that I got last week was all nice and shiny. So um, I think we have uh, sold them out a couple of times at Amazon. But um, I think I, somebody told me it's not available as an ebook, And I don't know if anybody's tried to find it as an audio book or not. But um, So it's... Uh, but it's really good, very, very much worth reading. So what I want to do today, uh, we've already covered the three movements. The first movement from loneliness to solitude. The second movement from hostility to hospitality. And the third movement from illusion to prayer. We've done those the previous three weeks. If you want to catch up, you can get the podcast on our website um, and listen to those. But what I want to do is now give a few of you uh, a chance to share with the rest of the congregation, how this has gone for you as you've tried to apply these things to your life and make this a reality in your world. Now, obviously, this, uh, the, this process, process of engaging these three movements takes longer than three weeks. It really, I uh, hate to uh, spoil this for you, but it probably will take the rest of your life. <laughs> um, the movements are not like from A to B. It's like A to quintuple Z, right? You, just, you go through the alphabet once, and then you're like back at the beginning. So um, we don't expect that everybody's figured all this out, okay? And in fact, if some of you uh, who have talked to me share your stories, some of those stories have been stories of like, ah, that's really, really hard. I don't know what to do with that. And uh, some of you have decided to make certain specific changes in your life as a result of engaging this material. I want um, maybe three or four people to, uh, to share those kind of things this morning. And then Autumn will come back up and uh, she and I will just take whatever questions you might have. Not that we know everything, but um, you know, if, you, if you have a particular challenge that you'd like a little direction or help with, we would love the chance to kind of try to... Uh, help you along um, in these movements. So why don't we start with uh, Angela. I know Angela is one of the people who has um, something specific to share this morning. And uh, after Angela, we'll, we'll just open it up to a couple more people. But there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I can see Todd's head up there or not, but this microphone wasn't on before. I'm going to just check it. No. 
Why don't you just use this one? So, um, there's obviously a ton in this book that is worth of, worth of, worthy of discussion, but um, I thought I would talk about the first movement from loneliness to solitude because I am sort of the opposite of maybe Scott, definitely the opposite of my husband Dan in that um, I am totally fine with it being really quiet, completely quiet. I, I really need it to be completely quiet sometimes. And um, so solitude is something that comes a little bit naturally to me because um, when I was a child, although I'm not an only child, my sisters were out of the house by the time I was pretty much out of the house by the time I was born. Um, and so I was raised as an only child with parents who weren't, um, I want to say they were totally loving, but they weren't like hanging out with me. So I spent most of my childhood tearing around my yard, uh, a neighborhood with no other children in it, um, basically having uh, a great time fighting dragons and pirates and just living in my own world. And so I am now equipped to deal with being alone and and not having noise or or <clears throat> anybody to talk to. But as an adult, um, it's much harder to acquire those moments of solitude, those moments of quiet. Um, my responsibilities are no longer just to brush my teeth and comb my hair, but I have lots of other responsibilities to my husband and to my home life and my work life. And so it becomes much harder to sort of carve out those moments in which I can be alone and um, develop sort of what I got out of the Noam book is develop the solitude which is the center of of me and and who I, I am in that sort of um, regarding myself as a singular entity and not myself in relationship to other people and, and other things. So, um, you know, the only way for me that, that I could think of to carve out that, that kind of time was to sort of try to cut down on responsibilities. And so in, in looking around on how people deal with this, it's very interesting to me to see um, that, especially in our digital age, um, compared to the analog one I grew up in, uh, that that there's there's even more. There's not only your work responsibilities and you know the actual tasks that you have to do, but there's also oh I need to keep up on my social media networks and oh I need to return these emails. And there's an attitude of instant gratification. Emails need to be returned immediately. Um, every time there's a moment or something funny happens, I need to post it to Twitter or uh, Facebook. And when you actually go out and see what people are thinking about that that kind of of cultural attitude, you, you'll find that there that people are thinking very deeply about it. Um, there's numerous books now about digital detoxification and um, numerous studies in neuroscience journals. Me being a science geek, about the effects of of this on our attention span and our ability to synthesize complex ideas and um, and it it's very interesting. So my husband yells at me for not being able to reach me by phone, but 
um, for me, just disconnecting is really important. Um, I know I am. I, I actually hate talking on the phone anyway, but uh, separate from that, I, I commonly leave my phone at home uh, a lot. I actually leave my cell phone at home. And um, I'm not that much in my office, so you can't reach me on my office phone either, so too bad. Um, I know, it's so awesome. Uh, <laughs> so I, I just wanted to share that, that, you know, if anybody wants to talk about uh, about sort of this disconnecting uh, from um, the immediacy of uh, your digital environment, that I would love to talk about it because it's, it's something that I think is actually really important to consider. Um, we've adopted these technologies so rapidly without really thinking about the long-term consequences of how they're going to affect our society, but... Okay, that's a little bit too deep, but anyway. Um, so, so yeah, I, I've really enjoyed the book, and and one of the things that, um, sorry, just one more thing, um, that Nowen really said is is that creativity asks for a certain encounter with her loneliness, and that's definitely true. As science, creativity is an important part of the scientific process, and I realize that if I don't give myself time to sit down and just think about stuff, that I'm just running around putting out fires and progress really isn't made until I take the time to sort of disconnect from all these myriad things that I have going on and, and really focus. So, Thank you, Angela. Um, before I open it up completely to the room, why don't I, I'd like to start it this way. If you have already talked to me or talked to Autumn um, in response to one of the messages that, that you heard in the last three weeks and would like to share whatever it was that you, that you uh, talked to us about. I'd like to start with those people, because I know you're engaging with it. Uh, some of us, I'm one of them, can always come up with something to say if the, if the floor is open, right? <laughs> but I know that there's a few people, especially maybe some quiet people who, this might be a stretch to do that, but um, uh, several people talked to me, and several people talked to Autumn, and I know that that you may wish to share that with the group. And if you don't, that's okay. There is no pressure at all. But I want to start first by giving you a moment, a chance to come and do that. And then if, if nobody does that, then we'll, then we'll really open it up to the, the chatty Cathy's, you know. Yeah. Brooke, come on up. Is it okay? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, my name is Brooke, and uh, the second movement from hostility to hospitality, I really wrestled with, um, because I had sort of the reverse uh, interaction take place. Um, I, I felt like I was in a place of hospitality, and after... Um, some experiences really moved to a state of hostility, and so I, I really kind of wrestled with with feeling burned and kind of feeling rejected, and um, so just kind of really had a difficult time with that second um, movement and just how to how to move beyond that. But this specifically, my my story is. Um, I moved to South Africa in um, 2007 um, to work as a preschool teacher for these uh, for an orphanage for these HIV/AIDS affected students or kids. And so I moved there, and um, 
I felt like I moved there with a very open heart, with a very big arms and very willing and very loving. I had so much support from the states, um, for the church organization that I went with um, out of Kansas City. I felt like they were very much supportive of me. Um, and then I moved there alone, <laughs> and I lived in this big house by myself, um, and I would drive back and forth to the orphanage in the morning and work with the kids, and the kids were beautiful and amazing, and I have the best memories um, of that. Um, but as the months progressed, um, I really started to feel um, taken advantage of and um, used by the people that the African people that I was working with. Um, and I, as I think back to the dynamics of that orphanage and my sponsors from the U.S. and um, their experience with previous Americans and how they had kind of cycled in and out before me, that there was kind of, um, from the African side, just this, we need to take all that we can from you before you leave us kind of feeling and um and it was like they didn't care who I was they just knew that I was white and I was alone and I was supposed to be giving them all my time and all my love and all my energy and and I was really in this state of how do I do what I'm what I feel like I'm supposed to do here and yet take care of myself and that was just a really awkward balance. And um, and also, unfortunately, when I got there, my organization out of Kansas City really, like, dropped me. I felt like, you know, once I was there, it was like, all right, see you in a couple years, you know. And, and um, I just had some really rough experiences there. My house being broken into several times and my car breaking down in, in Motherwell, which is like the shanty town kind of places and in a really rough time of the year, Christmas time when it's really crazy down there. And, um, and just kind of given like the, well, that stuff happens, you know, from my organization here in the States. And so just kind of feeling like, wow, I went here, I did this, I, I raised, I raised the money. I have a huge group of people who are supporting me while I'm there and yet my organization just said you know you got to figure it out and you know the people I was working with not my little students but the the adult Africans I was working with were were taking I felt really taken advantage of they wanted my car they wanted to take me they wanted me to take them places they wanted me to lend them money they wanted me to go buy Tylenol and ibuprofen from the States and you know just and, and I understand all those things but it was it was just a really difficult place for me to be in especially as someone who was 25 and alone and um really on the continent of Africa alone with no one there and um so all that to say when I'm reading his second movement about hostility and hospitality, I still wrestle with that, and I'm still on that, um, feeling a little burned by that situation, and not wanting to hold resentment towards 
my the group in Kansas City, the mission organization, and not wanting, definitely not wanting to hold resentment towards African people in general because that's terrible. But it's like I, I just, that's where I'm at. And that's kind of what I'm just dealing with, <laughs> with that. Yeah. Thank you so much, um, Brooke. I appreciate you being, being willing to share something that ends with, that's where I'm at. Because <laughs> um, sometimes you get up, you know, you church testimony time, right? You're supposed to talk about what happened back then and how God brought you through it. Hallelujah, praise Jesus. Um, but life is not always spent in the future. <laughs> you know, it, all that stuff is not always in the past. And um, reading a book like this, sometimes you think, um, boy, I, uh, this is wonderful. I'm going to just do that. And then you, you do something that tr- tries to move you in that direction and the opposite thing happens on you, right? Has anybody else sort of like felt like you were trying to be hospitable and what, what you received in return actually made you feel hostile? Like, right, lots of times. That, I, think that's, I think that's part of the, the challenge of that movement, actually, is, a, is, a, is adjusting our understanding of what hospitality actually is and our expectations of and our reasons for doing things and so forth like that um so i'm really really grateful that you were willing to share something that wasn't like didn't have a pretty bow on it um because life doesn't have a pretty bow on it um is there maybe one or possibly two people who have again already shared with autumn or with me something that you've been thinking about and want to bring that to the, the whole group? <laughs> all right, so uh, let's open it up to anybody at all, um, preferably if you've, if you've read the book, but even if you haven't, it's, <laughs> I mean, I didn't actually mean that to be funny. Uh, truly, preferably if you've read the book, but even if you haven't, I mean, the, the purpose of this series has been to help you um, interact with this, I, these ideas, even if you're not reading the book. So um, you're not a second-class citizen if you didn't read the book. So I, I, I retract that, even if you haven't read the book. As long as you've been thinking seriously about this, these movements and trying to do something with them in your life, uh, and you'd like to share your experience of that, the, the, your, this is your chance. Um, uh, yes, why don't we do uh, Jolene and then Shane is right behind you. Yeah. And after Shane, we'll probably, uh, I'll invite Autumn up and we'll, we'll do the broader Q&A thing. Okay. Um, so I actually haven't been at Artisan for the last three weeks, so for this whole series, basically. So seeing all of this is really cool because this is the first time I've seen it. Um, but even though I haven't been here, I've actually, I have the book and I've been following along. I've been listening to the podcast. Um, and so I wasn't here because I actually was in Canada for a couple of weeks doing um, some traveling around the cities, but also doing some backpacking and camping in one of the national parks up there. Um, and so it was actually perfect because I saw the book and I started reading the book and the whole first part was about solitude, right? Loneliness and solitude. And... Um, I'd been feeling lately, I had a really crazy summer because I was working full-time and I was in school getting my master's degree as a full-time student all summer. So it was, it was kind of crazy and I really did not have much downtime or time to be alone 
at all, really. And so this camping trip for me was going to be kind of my first chance to be alone and be quiet and just have some solitude out in nature. And I was really excited about that and also excited that the book kind of lined up perfectly with that um, as I was about to leave for this trip. And I loved Autumn's message. Message, um, Autumn, it was beautiful. I listened to it, and it was amazing and really inspired me. And I was excited to go on this trip, and I was going to take the book with me and really thought, and I had a journal, and I was thinking, I am going to use this chance while I'm out in the woods, you know, backpacking, nobody's around, a lot of downtime, a lot of quiet time to think. I'm going to use this chance to really spend some time in solitude, meditating, writing, thinking. Um... And I have to say that that didn't actually happen. Um, I was out in the woods for like five days with nothing to do except read. And even then, like it's so much harder to do it than you think it's going to be to just spend that time intentionally in solitude and embracing the solitude. Um, And yeah, I think that just says something that I really had nothing to do. And yet still somehow that that didn't happen the way I thought it was going to happen. And I'm just kind of making that confession saying, yes, it's hard to do these things. And the thing is, I've been wanting to get back to spending more time in solitude because I used to do it more regularly. Um, I had a habit for a while of waking up in the morning and spending the first, I don't know, 20 to 30 minutes of the morning just reading reading the Bible or um, writing. I had a journal that I was keeping, and I always feel like writing is really good for me. But it's that sitting down and actually doing it that's really hard. And like Scott was saying, um, I think it was last week, about you have to write it into your schedule sometimes. I'm one of those people that if I don't write it into my schedule, it doesn't get done. Um, So I guess this book has really been showing me that, yeah, this is something I need to work on, but also it's something I want to work on because I remember when I was doing that, when I was spending those, those minutes in the morning just in solitude writing, that was really good for me. That was really good for my soul, and it made me feel really good. Um, and it's kind of like that running thing, you know, like cross-country running. I know running makes me feel good, but actually getting out there and doing it is hard. So I think what I've been inspired to do, and I really, really want to try to do this, it might take baby steps, but I really want to get back to where I was waking up in the mornings and just doing that as part of my routine in the mornings. And maybe I won't start every day right away. You know, maybe I'll start just a couple of days a week or something like that. Um, But I don't know if any of you are also in that same place as I am and feeling that, but I just want you to know that that's something I'm going to be trying to do. Um, So if you want to talk about that, or maybe that's something you want to do too, I am more than happy to talk about that, and uh, maybe we can inspire each other. Yeah, thank you. That's an awesome idea. Thank you, Jolene. So you know what I was thinking of when you were saying that it's hard to do um, silence? Um, anybody know what uh, like the exercise uh, a plank is, right? Does anybody want to come up here and demonstrate a plank real quick? <laughs> right. So a plank, if you don't know, um, is well. There's the like the dorky nerd thing where you just lay on the ground and somebody takes a picture of you. That's not the kind of planking. I mean, <laughs> like I'm talking about making a, a plank is you st- you get into a push up position, right? Um, uh, on your elbow, sure, wherever. I mean, I do my elbow, forearms, yeah. But sometimes I see people do it this way too, right? And you just hold that as long as you can. You seem to know a lot about it. You want to show us how it works? Yeah, let's see it, right? Right here, it'd be great. Yeah, yeah right on the tile. It'll feel real good, right? So Rick is, is now, uh, for the podcast listeners, Rick is, is finding a, a plank position here. He's, this is part of meditation. 
<laughs> when you meditate, wow, that's a lot at once. So the thing with the plank is it looks really easy, right? This is no problem. Anybody could do this for about that long, right? <laughs> and the longer you hold this, the more painful it is. I once had a, once, one time, had a contest with my wife in the backyard to see how long each of us could do this. The results of that contest is what made me only do it once. Um, because I don't like to lose. <laughs> how you feeling, Rick? How are the arms doing? Right? This is what silence is like. You can do it for about 10 seconds, and then you're like, man, how long has it been? 10 seconds? I've been here an hour. All right, th- that's, Rick, that's enough. You don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> But the point is, that's really good for your body. That's, it strengthens your core, like, which is what you say about an exercise, right? Really good for your core. Um, it's, that's really good exercise for your body, and silence is really good exercise for your soul. But you, it's, when you first try it, you can do it for less than a minute, and you think it's a complete, utter, blank waste of time, right? Um, but it's not. It's not a waste of time because you do a little bit of it, and then the next time you can do a little bit more, and the next time you can do a little bit more, that's, the spiritual life is very much like, I mean, the cross-country analogy I used last week and the, the plank one that I just thought of as Jolene was talking about how hard it was to be silent, even in the middle of the woods all alone with nothing else to do. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you. All right, Shane, um, come on up. Hi, I'm Shane. Um, this week I started a new job teaching first grade, and um, I was really anxious and nervous and scared about it because I was teaching fourth grade before it, and they got about a foot and a half shorter, and they go to the bathroom a lot more. <laughs> and that happened twice this week. Not in the right place. So, uh, I don't really have, like, mommy, like tendencies. So being a nurturer has been a challenge. And uh, being a public school teacher, there's a lot of pressure to have your students perform. And it's, uh, it, I was really struck by the idea of seeing, because um, he actually talks, I think, about teachers in the hospitality chapter, and like seeing your students as guests and giving them the space to be free without imposing your own stuff on them. And I, I really kind of I realized as I was going into this first week of teaching that I wanted my students to be the thing that helps me keep my job, which of course is good, but at the same time, it's like it, was, it felt almost like there was a using there instead of me really viewing my students as a gift that I get to spend my day with and that I get to teach and give the freedom to learn and to grow and explore instead of seeing my students as this thing that allows me to make money so that I can eat and live and there's just sort of this balance of well yeah that's real life you got to make money but at the same time like just taking a step back and viewing them as my guest and as this gift and then even viewing the people that I live with and that I am friends with in that way as well as just people that I get to be have a gift of being around so cool thank you thank you Shane um, thanks to all of you who shared. Um, we have a, a few minutes now that we can do some general Q&A. So, Autumn, why don't you come up and um, probably not a ton of questions, but maybe a, a one or two, depending on how long the answers are. Um, I think we can make that one work for you, Autumn. So, 
Again, we're not super experts in this material, but if you have questions and would like a little bit of guidance on maybe how to try to engage with any of these movements in particular, um, feel free to fire them out and we'll do whatever we can to, to respond. Dan. Um, going back to the first movement, which again, you did a wonderful job speaking that week. Thank you. Uh, I'm interested in a... Where to start with building a quiet, meditative, spiritual life, having been the exact opposite of my life, mm-hmm. being a noise maker, a noise absorber, I'm a mover, and I would like to learn how to just be, so mm-hmm. I would be interested in a good resource to start. Sure. I'll repeat the question, then Autumn can uh, give a brilliant answer, but um, <laughs> he's, he wants a place to start toward having that kind of quiet, meditative, spiritual life, um, being, a, being a busy, noisy person. Um, where do you start? So, uh, well, um, I always think like practical advice is always just uh, people are going to make, you're going to find um, however it works for you based on your intention for it. Um, and so I always like in my, in my teaching, um, for this type of practice, the, the first piece of it is having that awareness of this this busyness. Because what happens usually is that we get so sucked into it that it you know into the busyness that that becomes all the filled space becomes what our life is about and and what we're doing right and this and we end up confusing being a human being right with a human doing. I'm sure you've heard that before, but. Yeah. So this idea that um, that we ha- that the practice of stopping is how we practice this human being and practice having this um, even this attempt at transitioning from loneliness to solitude. So even just a- allowing for busyness to be your cue to stop um, can be a really um, important way to even what I usually say invite yourself to this type of practice. So um, even starting with just five minutes, you know, at work, even just saying, okay, I'm going to stop here, and maybe work is the practical advice, but I'm just going to stop here. And the reason I even um, I talk about breath a lot is because it is giving that space to just be open to, to God's will. And, and often we're, the busyness is... This is, how, is a reflection of this is how I want my life to look and be, and so I'm going to, I'm striving so much to make it look a certain way. And giving yourself even that silence and breath is a way to honestly, practically um, invite God to, to do his will. So I, I think just even giving yourself that, I guess this is practical again, like a five-minute timer just to... To breathe and and even pray pray that you know God will be in this uh, space with you in this time with you can be a, a way to practically do that just starting so small yeah I think that's good advice and uh, if you need if you need a reason just pr- tell your coworkers you took up smoking and you you now get smoke breaks so <laughs> you just walk down to the street and do your thing. And I mean, to, to bring Nouwen's suggestion into it as well, you, it's, it's not just silence, it's also scripture. 
And so you, you, if you're looking, if you need something to, to fill that space, you can, you can uh, use a scriptural text and that will sometimes kind of do that. But you really need to be back and forth between the two things. So, but I have found that like if, I, if I'm just like really can't concentrate, then, I, then that's, that's the thing I try to make my mind sip from, if you will. Yeah, Ariel. Um, this is a question <clears throat> that brings to my mind with the exercise analogy, you know. So you can obviously go on the spectrum from couch potato to gasoline, right? You spend your entire day exercising, or you spend your time all exercising. And I feel that it's very similar with solitude and meditation, right? You can go on the spectrum from a month or someone who spends your nine tenths of their day actually meditating, actually being in solitude, and then you can go to the person that it's a great great question so the, with the exercise analogy you have couch potatoes and you have like Jack LaLanne is the person you said people who exercise all day with the spiritual life you have spiritual couch potatoes and then um, people in cloistered monastic communities who pray all day long. Is there an in-between thing? Is there an American version? Um, <laughs> and you were about to answer that question. So. Okay. <laughs> okay, so not just an American version, but the American Heart Association's uh, suggested 30 minutes a day or something like that. What's, what, is the, what is the spiritual version of that, Autumn? <laughs> um, because I know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, what I noticed in um, what people were sharing and, um, yeah, what people shared today is that we often go into all of these types of practices with a lot of expectation of what the end goal, the end result is going to look like. And this is part of, again, this practice of openness, that openness to what it's going to be like in silence, that it's going to hurt, that it's going to, we're going to be so distracted. Um, that it's going to be that mountain beyond mountain beyond mountain and that our only intention to this type of practice is to practice and and as Scott said it's you know you know it, it, it is a lifetime of, of work um, and so um, with an act of going from hostility to hospitality you know this expectation that hey I'm doing something good for Sir, you know <laughs> that we that we often go in with this type of expectation of what our hospitality is meaning, and that really the the practice isn't the, the real word I have for it is an openness to practice, and that that is why it is a gift that God um, loved us first. That we will you will you will see its fruits just by the practice, and that there is no. I, I don't think there is a prescribed healthy amount. It's, it's more than you're doing, right? I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. Or it's just to keep keep trying and yeah. keep coming back to it over and over, as especially because it's hard. Just like we, why we you know exercise because it's it's hard and um, I, yeah. I talk about this a lot. I think perhaps the greatest curse, the biggest risk to our spiritual lives is the lie that you have to do it all at once, that you have to get from zero to 60 in one second. Um, 
You have to get from this spot to the other room in one step. That's literally impossible for me to do on a, physically, you know. Um, what's also impossible is for me ever to get there if I don't take one step, okay? Um, and if it's the kind of thing where you, if, you, if I'm trying to get from here to there and I take one step twice a week, <laughs> it's going to take me a long time just to get there. And then I'm going to realize, oh, the hallway goes way down there. <laughs> And then you realize, oh, if you go outside, you're in real trouble, right? Because you could walk forever. But I think that's kind of the point. So the great lie, the great lie in your spiritual life is that you, that you have to do it all at once. Please don't believe that. Please don't believe that doing a little bit is a waste of time. Please don't believe that doing a little bit is a waste of time. Doing a little bit more than you're doing right now is enough for now. And then you'll be able to take the next little step again. I really, I mean, I talk about it all the time because I think it is such a curse. It is such a burden for us because we think we have to do everything perfectly and completely right out of the gate, and it's just never going to happen. So we, uh, we're long a little bit again, and we're going to have to stop there. Um, thank you for your questions. Thank you to those of you who shared. Thank you to all of you who um, engaged with these ideas over the past few weeks and to Autumn for your involvement here. Um, I think we're going to get through this building stuff and then we're going to turn our attention to certain ways that you maybe can put this stuff in practice in your life better. So stick around. Hopefully there will be a little bit more, there will be a few more avenues for this in the coming um, weeks and months. So... Um, as we sing our last couple of songs, uh, we would like to serve you communion today. Autumn and I will be holding the bread and the, the cups. We'll be right here, and you can come up through the center aisle and, and, and down through one of the side aisles. Um, receive the, the bread and wine as a remembrance of Christ's sacrifice for you, the greatest expression of God's first love, primary love for you. Um, do it as an act of communion and hospitality with each other. And um, may it be for you the body and blood of our Savior and food for your souls. So we'll have the the elements and uh, we invite you to come if you're following Jesus and we'll keep singing together. Uh, Thanks again for being part of this whole experience. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.